Let's pray. Dear God, thanks for this day, and thanks so much for your goodness, for your word, and uh, Lord, just a privilege to just to sit at your feet and hear what you would have for us from your word, Lord. We, we don't take it lightly. And so, Lord, we ask that you would guide us and lead us and that uh, you would speak to our hearts, Lord. That these would be words from your Holy Spirit, not necessarily words from me, but from your Holy Spirit directly to us in a way that can minister to our hearts and cause our lives to bring glory to you. And so, please just have your way with us and guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, turn, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two. So, uh, just so there's a bit of a roadmap. There's basically two major topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first is about uh, prophetic end times, and then the second is um, starting in verse uh, thirteen about. Um, basically about God's sovereignty. And so um, it feels like two different things we're going to talk about, but hopefully by the end of it we realize how uh, tightly they come together and really are the same thing because we're talking about the Lord. So um, that's the roadmap. The church in Thessalonica was established on Paul's second missionary journey. Um, and he and Silas and Timothy were in Thessalonica for three weeks. It's very significant that they were there for just a, such a short period of time, and there's such richness that comes out of this church and out of these letters. And so um, they were there for three weeks, and then they got basically run out of town. They went on then to Berea, and then Athens, and then Corinth. And from Corinth, Paul wrote First Thessalonians, sent it back to them to it was delivered back to them and then came back with kind of a little more questions um, and so the second Thessalonians is written actually just a few months later as sort of a follow-up and a lot of the follow-up relates to uh, some some end times type stuff in this chapter particularly chapter 2 is probably the most uh, specific regarding the events of the end times now before we get started on uh, talking about a prophetic text I want to just say one thing, and many of you know that I've said this before. There are lots of different ways to read biblical prophecy and to interpret and understand biblical prophecy. Fair enough? So anybody that doesn't agree with you or me, because you all agree with me, um, anybody that doesn't agree with us, we collectively call them. No, we don't. Uh, so... I'm just saying, I'm going to read prophecy a certain way, um, and I'll tell you the basis why I do this, and that is, wherever pro possible, and it's not always, I mean, there's, there are obvious metaphors in the scripture, and particularly in prophetic scripture, but wherever possible, I'm going to try to interpret the scripture very literally. Fair enough? And where do I get that? I get it from the first time Jesus came to earth, right? He was born of a virgin. It was prophesied that he was born of a virgin. If you were a theologian in like 50 BC, you'd been super tempted to say, virgin birth, that doesn't happen. Must be like a metaphor or allegory or something like that, right? If you're a theologian in the Middle Ages, right? Or if you're one of the reformers, you might say, nation of Israel, mm, last I checked, that ceased to exist in 70 AD. They've been, out of, they've, they've been off the radar for 1,500 years. Got to be an allegory, right? Whoops, 1948, we've got the nation of Israel back. And so I think there are probably lots of, lots of reasons. And so I'm gonna, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sort of going to assume those reasons because we've talked about them before. The reasons are we're taking things as literally as possible. So built upon that foundation, okay, I'm just going to kind of, um, there's the times we're living in now, 
right? We call it the church age, uh, if you will. I believe at the end of, uh, there's going to be a time when there's uh, what's called the rapture of the church. We've talked about this in, in recent weeks. Rapture of the church, Jesus comes uh, out of heaven. We meet him in the, we who are alive at that time, meet him in the air. Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Uh, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, boom, we're gone, right? As Jesus describes it, you know, there's going to be two guys out in the field, right? Working together, talking about what they're doing tomorrow, right? And next thing you know, one of them's going to look and he's by himself, right? That's, what, that's basically how Jesus described it. And so that's the rapture of the church. We go to heaven, right? The dead in Christ rise, and then we, we go with him, and uh, we, we go back up into heaven, uh, what I believe is during a time, uh, basically a seven-year time of what's known as the tribulation on earth. During that time of the tribulation, the Antichrist rises to power, okay? And midway through that tribulation period, the Antichrist, who basically he rises to power by initially being a great peacemaker, world problem solver, uh, all of that, you know, he's going to make a deal with the Jews to restore and help them rebuild their temple. And then all of a sudden, midway through that seven-year period, uh, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he goes in and he basically desecrates the, ta- the temple. He himself demands to be worshipped as God, and that's re- referenced by J- Daniel as the abomination of desolation. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Jesus refers to that. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, and he's talking to Jewish people who, there will be some Jewish people alive on earth at that time. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, flee to the mountains. Because there's going to be tribulation on earth that's unprecedented. So anyway, at the end of that seven-year period, then Jesus comes back to earth with his church. The first time was the rapture. He comes back for his church. The second time then, uh, he actually sets foot on planet earth with his church, sets up a millennial kingdom whereby he reigns for a thousand years. We reign with him uh, for a thousand years on uh, planet earth that's... um, it's a little bit hard to understand uh, biblically, but basically it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. Uh, it'll be, uh, won't be perfect, but it'll be pretty close. And then at the end of that thousand year, there's final judgment, heaven and hell, and we're with the Lord forever. All right? So that's the rough timeline. Everybody okay with that? So with that, then we take the text here, and, and you say, well, where did I get that? Well, I got it from, like, the whole thing, right? Uh, but, but the text we have here, we're going to kind of see how that fits into all that. Is that fair enough? Way. Be like one of those, uh, you ever been to an auction? Anybody ever been to a, like a junk auction? Trace and I used to do this for entertainment uh, when we were kids. When we, well, we were kids. We're still kids. Um, when we were first married, you know, you go to an auction, the guy's... And what's like, and there's, th- there's three guys in the, in the audience. What are they doing? What are they saying? Hip, hip, hip. Right? Right? And they're not, they don't have any bidders, right? They're just pointing randomly. Hip, hip, hip. Anyway, a couple of them have bidders. But anyway, I'm going to, if you don't start saying, yeah, I might, might hire a few of those guys for, uh, for some affirmation here. So anyway, how about we read the Bible? Anybody okay with that? Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had, past tense, come. So there's a mouthful here. Uh, but what he's, basically what he's talking about is he says, first of all, regarding the coming of Christ. Now, I believe this is talking about the rapture of the church, right? The, the first, in a sense, the first event after the church age, right? After the, when the rapture of the church, all those events I just described, the rapture of the church just kind of sets everything in motion, if you will, right? And so, you know, the Thessalonians, they were a little concerned that maybe they missed it. And maybe they were in the tribulation, Right? Like, for example, if you're sitting here in church this morning, right, and like, 
in the twinkling of an eye, half of us are gone, or maybe 90% of us are gone. And you're here like wondering where I went. I'm assuming I'm gone, right? You're here wondering where I went. You'd feel pretty creepy, right? You'd be like, whoa, I should have taken notes when he talked about the rapture of the church, right? You'd say that was, and then you'd be, and then if, the, if then hard times come, you'd be in, whoa, maybe I'm in the tribulation, right? Well, the Thessalonians were in hard times. We said, you know, Paul, who was no sissy, got run out of town after three weeks, there must have been some tribulation and some persecution in the city of Thessalonica. And so these Thessalonians are like, maybe we're in the tribulation, right? And so if we're in the tribulation, maybe that means we missed the rapture. Paul says, I don't want you to be uh, soon shaken in mind or troubled regarding all that, either by spirit or by word or by letter, okay? He said, number one, he doesn't want us to be soon shaken or in mind or troubled. Let me just say one, sec- one thing briefly regarding that. Oftentimes when people talk about end times events, they talk about, you know, the end is near, right? I mean, you can read the news. I mean, regardless of your eschatology, regardless of your, your opinion regarding end times events, you can read the news and, and kind of feel like, Wow something's going on. This, this, you know, from a completely secular standpoint, you know, there are those that would say, this world's not sustainable. From a spiritual standpoint, I'd say, you're right. Matter of fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells me that, right? And so, uh, you know, so there's a lot of this angst oftentimes when we talk about end times events, right? Paul doesn't want us to be anxious. He said, I don't want you to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. We read uh, previously in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18, he says, I want you to, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. When he's talking about 1 Thessalonians 5 11, he said, therefore comfort one another and edify one another just as you also are doing. We should be encouraged as we talk about the possibility of the rapture of the church being very soon. We shouldn't be freaked out about it, right? We should just be encouraged because it, re- it reminds us, it, it, as we see things play out, that we say, wow, this is prophetic. Wow, that's pretty crazy that a nation ceases to exist from 70 AD to 1948. And wow, it's pretty crazy that that nation is always, 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 in the midst of political turmoil, I mean, in terms of the international stage. That's weird. You know, it's kind of weird that it seems like everybody's against them so often, right? There's nothing weird about that. We should take comfort in that. What, the, what should we take comfort in? Knowing God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan has been laid out in the Scripture, and we see it play out, as it's previously been laid out, right? That was not an intentional rhyme, okay? But he says, I don't want you to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. By word, so the word I say, the words I say regarding this shouldn't freak us out. Or by spirit, you know, sometimes you've got to be honestly a little bit careful uh, because sometimes as believers... I believe we're quick to sometimes say, I got a word for the Lord from, I got a word from the Lord for you, right? Now, it's okay to, I believe that happens sometimes. The Lord might give somebody, a, uh, in terms of spiritual giftings, might give somebody a, a word, right? Or a message or something like that. That's totally within the context of Scripture. But we have to be a little bit careful, make sure we're discerning with that, because sometimes those things can be troubling. If they're troubling, if, they're fear, if they produce fear, then they're probably not from the Lord, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Second Timothy, I believe, chapter 1. And so um, we have to have some discernment through these things. So Paul's just really just giving them a kind of a big dose of discernment by spirit, by word, or by letter. Some people say that, um, that some skeptics were sending letters to the Thessalonians and kind of signing Paul's name at the bottom of them, 
And Paul's like, nope, don't do that. He said, I I don't want you to think that the day of Christ has come. Now, the day of Christ, uh, most understand to be the day of the Lord or the tribulation. So the tribulation, these events have not come yet, is what Paul is saying. Let no one deceive you by any means. Those words should ring true to us today because deception is a big part of the enemy's strategy, particularly in the last days. Deception is huge. Deception will continue to be huge. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this word falling away, we, you may recall in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, I'll just read it. Then we who are alive, referring to the rapture of the church, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the reference I was talking about, the rapture of the church. That Greek word is harpazo, caught up, right? Like gone. And um, uh, this word is different. This word is apostasia. It's a falling away. So the day of the Lord, the tribulation, the rapture of the church, all these events aren't going to happen unless the falling away comes first. Now, many people, people have kind of two different interpretations of this falling away. I believe they might both be correct. Number one, falling away, the apostasia could be like the removal, the, 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 you know, the departure uh, is another translation of that. And the departure could be a reference to the rapture of the church, although it's a different word used in 1 Thessalonians 4. But there's another possible meaning that I think is relevant for us today. Turn over to the right, if you would, to 1 Timothy, very next book, chapter 4. And I think as Christians today, we need to uh, be aware of these things. I believe there's a reference when he says that day will not come, the rapture and the tribulation will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. I believe the falling away, again, it may be a reference to the rapture, right? The tribulation doesn't come until the rapture comes first, which we know from Scripture. But also there's a certain falling away. There's a um, there's a falling away that we see in terms of godliness on earth. So, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Those are fun verses to read, don't you think? Right? In the last day, in the latter times, who says this? The Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit speak truth? Absolutely. Now, the Holy Spirit expressly, does Paul want us to be, or does Paul want us to be emphatic on this? I mean, he wants no ambiguity here. The Holy Spirit expressly says, he wants us to anchor on this, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's a biblical truth. We don't like it. It tweaks our theological uh, understanding. I'm going to read here in a, in a few minutes how we're chosen by, by God, right? These things are, are they, they're, they're hard for us to get our heads around. But the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, your conscience can be seared with a hot iron. As a doctor, I can tell you this. Used to, they called it, there's there's three degrees of a burn. Now they call it a partial thickness and a full thickness. Anyway, first degree burn, right? Sunburn. Skin turns red, right? Second degree burn, what happens? You get blisters. Blisters. Third degree burn, what happens? No pain. No pain. No pain. You get this? Why? The nerves are burned. Right? 
Third degree burn, no pain. Now let's read this scripturally. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We can it's possible to depart from the goodness of God so far that it doesn't hurt anymore. It's possible to depart from the goodness of God so far that it doesn't hurt anymore. There's no more conviction. Nothing but you just don't care. Let that never be said of us. 2 Timothy, flip over to the right again. Chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, chap, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. You get this? In the last days, people will be like this. And they'll have a form of godliness somehow. Like they'll give themselves some religious label. Right? That's what's going to happen in the last days. I believe, back to 2 Thessalonians, when Paul says that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I believe the falling away could be a reference to the rapture, but could very well be this, in the last days, perilous times will come. In the last days, the Spirit expressly says that people will depart from the faith. The falling away, right? We see that today? You bet. You bet. And as we see these things play out, again, we, shouldn't, we should take comfort but we should also, as was said, you know, last week, contend earnestly for the faith, right? I like what, and I was talking to Larry a little bit about this, it's kind of like I was listening to, you know, what he said last Sunday, and then I was listening to what Nate said on Wednesday night, and I love what Nate, what both of them, but there's a sense, can I please, please appeal to us now from the bottom of my heart? In the last days, some will depart from the faith. In the last days, perilous times will come. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. Right? I, the context, I was thinking about what Nate said. In Daniel, chapter 1. Right? Historical context. Babylonians conquer the Jewish people because of the Jewish people's sin. Right? And they, they, they take some of the, uh, the young, smart wise, good-looking specimens of Jewish culture off to Babylon and put them in the king's court, right? Now, are they, do they beat them and torture them and, and beat them into submission? No. They wine and dine them. Get this? They wine and dine them. Why? To try to culturally indoctrinate them into the ways of the Chaldeans. Should that ring chilling for us today? I'm passionate about this. Because we, as a body of Christ, by and large, hope nobody in this room, as a body of Christ, by and large, are being lulled to sleep by our culture. And it is incredibly dangerous. We are being lulled to sleep by our culture. Well, you know, I just can't quite really get up. I mean, I was just working so hard last night. I just, you know, get up and read my Bible. I, please, I'm not, I'm not trying to lay a trip on anybody. But maybe I am. We have to be contenders for the faith. I, I love, it kind of rings in my head. Not to pat my son on the back, but it's a dangerous proposition. He said, nobody, please catch this, Nobody is passively faithful to the Lord for 70 years. The span of the book of Daniel went at least 70 years. 
because we know it was during the time of the captivity in, into the Medo-Persian Empire. So it went at least 70 years. Daniel's there for the whole book. Daniel's faithful on day one. Daniel's faithful on day last. Nobody, nobody is faithful for 70 years passively. Get it? In latter days, the falling away will come first. Make sure we swim upstream. Make sure that we are people who are swimming upstream. I'm super burdened by this. So he says, then the falling away will come first. That day will come, and the man of sin is revealed. That's, the, that's a reference to the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who ex- opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. That's a reference to the abomination of desolation that I spoke of, that's referenced uh, by Daniel. So, the Antichrist starts out as a peacemaker. He's going to make a deal with the Jews, likely help them set up, build their temple. Revelation chapter 6 describes him as riding in on a white horse, kind of with the appearance of purity. And then midway through the tribulation, he shows his true colors. He goes into the temple. He sets up the abomination of desolation. And this is a reference to that. So that he, quote, exalts himself above all that is called God. That's going to be a bad day. Verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was, with you, was still with you, I told you these things? So I like that Paul has to remind these people, right? Do I ever need a reminder of things? Yeah. Do we all need reminders of things? Yeah. So he says, Do you remember? I told you this. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. So something is restraining all this from rolling out something or someone, right? So notice here, the, thing, the theme that he's giving at is these things haven't happened yet, right? And the Thessalonians were concerned that they're in the tribulation, so he says, you know, uh, there's a restraining going on, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Notice that word he there in verse 6 is a small letter he. So what is restraining is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. You get this? For the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7, is already at work. Is the mystery of lawlessness at work so far already? It's almost like if you think of it like this. You can see storm clouds brewing before it starts to rain, right? Are there storm clouds in our world today, spiritually speaking? You bet. Are there end times storm clouds that we can look up and see? You bet. Are there world power storm clouds brewing? You bet. Would this be a convenient time for a global economy, a global political system, and a global religion? Would this be a convenient time if you're a secularist? for, like, some international hero to bring all that together? Is the stage potentially set for that? Yeah. What is that? It's the storm cloud. It's not raining yet, because we're all still here, right? But there's storm clouds. And Paul said, you know what? And here's the other thing. Paul says, these things, these things were brewing when Paul was alive, Right? These things were brewing at the time of the writing of this letter. So the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, and your Bible probably has that capitalized, he who now restrains, remember we said something is restraining this lawlessness. He, it's the Holy Spirit, who now restrains the lawlessness will do so until he is taken out of the way. You get this? So do you sense that there's a good and evil thing going on in our world today? And that they're antagonistic to one another. And that good fights evil and evil fights good and they're both kind of doing battle. And yet we know as Christians that in the last days, perilous times will come 
in the last days, there will be a falling away. We know that. And then there's this good and this evil. And here's what I, I think I've said this recently. The, the secular world, the unbelieving world, is super annoyed by Christians. Have you noticed this? Super annoyed by Christians. What would they really love to see? They'd love to see a utopian world where all those Christians are just out of here. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. He, the Holy Spirit, who restrains this work of lawlessness, will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Now, he's not completely removed from earth. The Holy Spirit will not be completely removed from earth after the rapture of the church. But his influence will largely be removed because the Christians at that time will be removed. Right? Now, people will get saved during the tribulation. One of the great works of the Lord during the tribulation is a great revival among the Jewish people. Right? You've heard me say this before. In the book of Revelation, it's very clear. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish male if you want to get real specific, and again, we read prophecy literally, right? There's going to be 144,000 Jewish male virgin evangelists on planet Earth. They're Jewish. There's, it says 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe. You can march it on down. They're male. They're Jewish. They're virgins. They're evangelists. There's going to be a work of the Lord on planet Earth during the tribulation period. So, the Holy Spirit is not completely removed, but he's sort of taken out of their way. He's no longer going to be a, an impediment to him, if you will. And then, after he's taken out of the way, then the lawlessness, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So, then the, after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will be revealed to have his way during the tribulation. And, uh, and yet, ultimately, God will uh, destroy him. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And so, beware that Satan is behind all of this, Behind all of what uh, the Antichrist will be about, the mystery of lawlessness, he's going to be capable of lots of miracles, lots of deception. And it's a reminder for us that we must know the Word of God. We must know the Word of God to avoid this deception. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so God's even going to allow uh, these folks uh, to experience delusion because they refuse to serve him. Does that seem fair, if we're honest? We, we struggle with that a little bit, don't we? Right? God's going to send delusion. And so I'm just acknowledging that. But notice this, because these people had, past tense, pleasure and unrighteousness. There's a thing, I believe, where God, Bible's clear, God desires all men to be saved. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9. I believe 1 Timothy 1.2.4. Uh, God desires all people to be saved. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. That he gave his only begotten son. That what? What's the next word? It's most, one of the most important words in the... I mean, the whole verse is important, right? But what's an important verse, word in the verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The free gift of salvation is available to everyone. Those who reject it, God allows them to experience delusion. And God allows them to get what they ask for. Those are hard verses, but they're real. And we would be deceiving, we, we'd be deceptive in our own right to deny the truth of the Scripture. But he says, verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always 
you get the sense that Paul wants to kind of <laughs> offer some encouragement, right? Because we want to comfort one another with these words. But we're bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, but beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, there's a theological sentence for you. All right? But I want to park on this for just a second, if you don't mind, because I think it's very, very important. So we just talked about the people who are under delusion, the people who had pleasure and unrighteousness, the people that refused to believe God, the people that were following the spirit of lawlessness, the people who would remain on earth after the rapture of the church, and even to those of us who live on earth before the rapture of the church, if we live our lifespan, this applies to those who reject the grace of God through Jesus Christ for the duration of their life. But we, now we're talking about us, but we are bound to give thanks for one another, for the Thessalonian church, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's a sovereignty verse, right? That's God in control. We like that, right? We take comfort in that. I believe he's given us this in the context of the, of the difficult words, just to be reminded. By the way, you've been saved by grace. You've been saved so much by grace that God chose you when? After you got your act together? No. From the beginning. From the beginning, God chose you. Now, we say, how does that work? I like, Chuck Smith always says this. Imagine you're all-knowing. Some of you think you are, but just imagine that, all right, imagine your wife is all-knowing. How's, how's that, right? Imagine you're all-knowing. Like just for, let's say for a month. You're all-knowing for a month. That'd be pretty cool, right? Makes you want to like find a genie lamp, say, yeah, let's play this thing out a little bit, right? So you're all-knowing for a month. And you decide, I think I'm going to go to the horse races. Right? It'd be kind of fun to mess with people, don't you think? Right? I'm going to go to the horse races. I think I'm going to bet every last penny on that one horse right there because I think he's got a cute tail. Right? But deep down, you know it's not the cute tail you know that horse is going to win. So what are you going to do? Which horse are you going to bet on? The one that you know is going to win. Right? Now that's just if you're all-knowing. God is all lots of things above and beyond all-knowing. He's also all-powerful. Right? So that, that horse that God, that, let's, say, let's say you're all-powerful for a minute. You know that horse is going to win. You pick that horse. You bet the farm on that horse. And somehow, you make that horse win. Wait a minute. You told me that that horse was going to win already. How's that work? Outside our brains. Right? But it's the biblical truth. Right? We have free will to accept or reject the grace of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, God knew before the foundation of time who would say yes to him and who would not. Romans chapter 8. To me, this is, if you ever wrestle with this concept, which everybody does, I think the key verse in all of Scripture that unlocks this is Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So it's almost like God went to the, you know, God chose you because he knew you were going to say yes to him. And because of that, he predestined you 
to be conformed into the image of his son. So there's two responses to that. One is, oh well, whatever. I guess uh, I should just eat, drink, and be merry until I die because it's all predetermined. Well, guess what? You just sort of declared yourself not a winner of the horse race. Right? The other side is, you know what? God is bigger than I am. I think I'm just going to contend earnestly for the faith. Guess what? You just declared yourself a winner in the horse race. Right? It happened, it's, it's beyond our human comprehension. But aren't you glad we worship a God that's smarter than we are? How lame would it be to worship a God that we can figure out completely? Just finished reading the book of Job, right? God said Job was, at the beginning, Job was an awesome guy. And at the end, after God listens to Job and his friends argue for a long time, God speaks and he says, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? I think that's how he said it. Sorry. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Right? Job was an awesome guy, but he didn't fully comprehend God as much as he thought he did. Right? When we try to put God into a theological package, we're by definition not figuring God out like we think we are. So then we go back. So in my mind, there's two things we need to do. We read a verse like this, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You know what I want to do? I want to contend earnestly for the faith. I want to resolve like Daniel did. To not be lulled to sleep, to not float downstream with the world. I want to resolve to serve God faithfully until my last breath. I want to resolve like it depends on me. But I'm thankful that it depends on God. Right? That's how we approach it. And I'm so thankful that God is able to pick me up. What that means is God can pick me up. God will, God will conform me. God has determined to conform me into the image of his son. My job is to contend earnestly for the faith. Both those concepts are truth in scripture. And we need to embrace them both. Verse 14. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why did he choose us? Why did he choose us? So our lives can bring glory to God and testify of the goodness of the gospel. Therefore. And there's always a therefore. Do you notice this? There's always a therefore in Scripture. There's always a therefore. Theology for the sake, does he say, therefore, sit around and argue and debate these things, see who wins. Is that what he's going to say? No. Therefore, have an us and them attitude with, say, with those that are saved and those that are not. No. Therefore, debate all these nuances of end times prophecy. No. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Contend earnestly. Act like it does depend on you, even though you're comforted knowing that it doesn't. Therefore, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle, or our epistle. Therefore, contend earnestly for the faith. Therefore, resolve to be faithful. Therefore, don't float downstream with American culture, even American Christian culture. Therefore, stand fast. Hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now, may, the Lord, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work.
You see that comfort always comes back? Whenever he talks about prophecy, he comes back to comfort. When he gives us hard things, he comes back to comfort. You know, the Holy Spirit is described as the comforter. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is the comforter. And so the benediction that he gives us is that we should go back to focusing on the goodness of God. Everlasting comfort, good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and work. Word, word and work. So you see this idea? God has a sovereign plan for end times events. Is it an accident that the nation of Israel came back to life in 1948? Is it an accident that, he, that in Ezekiel, I believe, 36 or 37, there's dead bones? that come back to life and God says that's a picture of the nation of Israel they're going to come back to life is it an accident that that actually happened in 1948 basically a dead nation came back to life and we know it as the nation of Israel today is that an accident is it an accident that our world seems chaotic but we know that God has a plan is it an accident that I mean just there's no accidents there's no cosmic accidents. There's no political accidents, right? Please, there are no political accidents. God's in control of the events of humanity. And he's got a plan for end times events. We're part of that plan, which is super cool. God also has a sovereign plan just in the same way he has a plan over all the big events of the world. He's got a plan for each and every one of our lives. Isn't that amazing? Only God can do stuff like this. He's got a plan for each and every one of us. To those of us who surrender our lives to him, to those of us who simply say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner because I'm descended from Adam. I know that I'm a sinner. I was born that way. I could... I could testify to the fact that I'm a sinner. I know that there's no way I can earn my way to heaven in any way, shape, or form, and frankly, I'm tired of trying. And I know that I am saved by the grace of God through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. I know that Ephesians chapter 2 But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I know that's me. And to those of us who know that that's us, God has a perfect sovereign plan to conform us into his image, to pick the winner, and to make us the winner at the same time in ways that are way beyond our comprehension. And you know what? That should all take us back to a place of thankfulness. That we can say, thank you, Lord. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to respond to your grace by living a life that would hopefully give glory to you. By living a life that's not perfect, but faithful, determined, resolved to not be one of those people in Timothy that just kind of in perilous times, one of these, one of these, one of these, do all this, 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 oh, but having a form of godliness but denying its power. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to respond to your love and your grace with a life of thankfulness and of wholehearted service to you. Isn't that what we want? Do you really want... I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. When it's all said and done, whether it's on your tombstone or whether it's, you know, they sit around and talk about you when you're gone, do 
Do you want him to say, yeah, you know, he had a lot of fun. He was, um, I mean, honestly, I hope I'm not getting personal here. Sometimes I read an obituary and I think, he liked NASCAR? Really? I want, it be, I want it to be said, he was faithful. He was resolved to serve the Lord because he knew what a wretched sinner he was. He knew how saved he was by the grace of God, and he was determined to live accordingly. Not he liked NASCAR and Euchre. I love Euchre. I don't like NASCAR. Right? Let's be those people. Let's have some, I mean, in, at the end of the day, we all want to be people of substance. Right? The opportunity is there. The opportunity is there for us to be people of substance of people who serve the Lord as a response to the fact that we know how good he's been to us. And I'm sorry if it sounds heavy, but I, I just see, I, I, I've, I see some, I, I feel like I see floating downstream at times. I'm burdened for that. God wants better for us. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, you deserve nothing short of wholehearted devotion and resolve from us because of what you've already done, much less what you will continue to do in our lives, that you conform us into the image of your Son. Lord, help us to therefore live lives that would honor you and so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering. Have your way with us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen.